Hello guys, welcome to the next episode of the Challenger Podcast. Five events to preview, review today, four to preview. So I think we should just jump right into it. We had a couple of Challenger 125s, one of them in Bratislava, the other in Malaga. I think the one in the Bratislava was significantly stronger, so I think that's where we're gonna head first. And Gabriel Diallo won the title there over Yoris Delor. Gabriel Diallo, his second Challenger title, the first being, um, was Lexington last year? Uh, no, Granby, sorry, Granby last year. Lexington was Shang's first title. Um, yeah, and um, this year, honestly, I expected a little bit more from Diallo. Like, I honestly thought maybe he could even break the top 100 or, you know, come close, mostly because he had nothing to defend in the first half of the season. But then he didn't fully use that opportunity. Like, he had a few challenger quarterfinals, at one point even three in a row, a semi in Busan. Uh, but, you know, no no final, nothing really exceptional. He won a 25k, but, um, you know, that was an ITF, so it was 25 points. So it's, like, similar to the quarterfinals in Bratislava, for example, to sort of give you some perspective on that. And, um, yeah, regarding the last few months, uh, he had that amazing performance at Davis Cup. Is this really where um, Gabriel Diallo comes in and sort of uses the experience that he's picked up over the last year or so to start performing, you know, up to his potential. I don't know if you can say that yet. However, it's certainly an amazing week for him. I think that the final against Delors, even though the Belgian was struggling with some sort of a foot issue, I think the final was actually a tremendous performance from him. Uh, the way he was just crushing forehand winners for fun and also at the same time being very, very patient in the rallies as well, you know, seeing what's happening on the other side of the net and sort of focusing more on the depth and like steady pace. Uh, I thought it was a pretty mature showing and yeah, I'm excited to see how Diallo follows this up uh, because this was certainly quite good and he beat Ferry, Team, Klein, Dam and uh, Delors. So, you know, the, 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 the path to the title was really tough as usual in Bratislava. Obviously the win against Team is, is the one that sort of raises your eyebrows or maybe not actually maybe just you know mildly uh, makes you interested but anyway that's um that that was perhaps not the best match i've seen <laughs> i don't think it was the best diallo performance of the week not even close however uh certainly a phenomenal week for for the canadian and yeah the final was very very impressive from him and in how he managed that um, that was his third challenger final after that um, Granby title and uh, Fairfield final as well last year. So he, Fairfield was also this week, but he was actually in Europe playing Bratislava and that was clearly a good choice. Joris Delor was the finalist, as I mentioned. Uh, before this year, Joris Delor only used to have one challenger final. Now he already picked up four more in 2023, which is an awesome feat, needless to say. Uh, one of them was, of course, his maiden challenger title in Oirash. So I think you can easily count that he's now one and four in challenger finals. Again, I cannot really blame him for today because, well, he was um, struggling with something, just not fully at his best in the opening set. And then um, actually gave a very good fight in the second. I was impressed with how he was keeping it close, even though, you know, continuously it felt like Diallo has, is on the front foot and like he has to break at some point. Uh, eventually it, it only happened at 
6-5. So he was very close to getting to a tiebreak in the second set. Delors, who knows, maybe if he gets to a tiebreak, maybe he actually forces it to a decider, but I think Diallo would have still been the favorite from there. But anyway, Delors managed to beat Morton. So, um, you know, the home crowd favorite, one of the home crowd favorites, I would say. And then Hassan, Marchenko and Nardi on the way to the final. So, as you can hear, a very tough... Uh, draw as well, which is basically what uh, every single player had in Bratislava, really. That's the quality of the field. And also Delors, uh, we all thought that he might get the Antwerp wildcard, because by the time he got to the final in Bratislava, which meant that he cannot play Antwerp qualies, two main draw wildcards were still unannounced. But, as it turned out, they just have some management you know, deals and Delors couldn't get in, even though it's the only ATP 250, of course, that Belgium has on the calendar. Uh, Berks also didn't get one. They actually gave them to Lyal and Nardi, which is fine. You know, these are very talented players, uh, but I was definitely surprised with that. Um, and I think maybe a country who, you know, which has just one ATP 250 shouldn't really allow it. But who knows? Anyway, uh, Delors actually managed to save his next week, I guess, by picking up a special exempt spot in, at Olbias. But I guess we'll also see how, how his knee is, because he also had it taped, and the foot that I already mentioned. But yeah, uh, fantastic season for Delors, and uh, I don't think he's really close to like you know getting to maybe break the top 100 or something. Doesn't seem like he will get close this year, but he certainly is enjoying the best season of his career and yeah i think that that's that's really what he is right now you know the sort of very very good top 200 player so <clears throat> i'm glad after all these years and all these injuries that he's had uh he's able to to yeah play up to that sort of quality up to that potential uh, and then in the semis we had a couple of youngsters with martin dam <clears throat> obviously a player who we've been sort of talking about for years as someone who potentially might have a lot of um, upside, mostly because he's a tall lefty. But, you know, tennis is a fun sport and being a tall lefty is actually really good, <laughs> which um, sometimes you don't even really need much more. Uh, Dam, of course, is, you know, was actually a very good junior prospect, the son of, of Martin Dam, the, the famous tennis player as well. And uh, yeah, recent weeks, it seems like he has made the step up. Um, I think even maybe um, at the US Open, I was sort of expecting a bit more from him. And uh, generally, the past few years, I think he's been developing a little slower than most of us expected. However, uh, in um, September, he went 8-1 and one in Portuguese ITFs. Then he won uh, made the quarters in Alicante at the Challenger. And then now he makes the semi in Bratislava. He beats Durasovic, Joao Souza, Akira Santian, Ivanovski and Kresi. I think Kresi and making the semis in, in Bratislava in such a huge high quality challenger was sort of what he was looking for. So like a signature win or a run. Because even though he made progress recently, he didn't quite have that. You know, he had these missed match points, for example, against Klein in Istanbul. And then Klein makes the final. So he, he has been sort of, you know, hovering around this for a while. And I'm glad that he finally got it. Um, he was very calm with like Cressy at the net on some key points. I think he played some very efficient, intelligent tennis as well. We'll see how he's able to like cover up his backhand in the future. But it seems like Dam will finally be realizing that potential that, you know, a few years back 
Um, I think um, we were really excited for him. And now, you know, it's taken him a while, but it seems like he might be making a lot of challenger impact really soon and i'm excited to see where it where it takes him for sure and luca nardi was the other semi-finalist was this actually like one of the best weeks that he's had this year i i think so he beat streaker in an absolutely amazing match even though it was a two-setter the quality was absurd uh, then he also beat paulson and Jumhur and lost to Yoris Delor in the semis. Uh, almost made the comeback there, like from 2-5 down, he made it uh, in the second, he made it to the tiebreaker, but uh, lost it 5-7. to seven. But still a very solid week for Nardi, and, you know, I still think that next year, um, because he has very little to defend, uh, basically until... You could even argue that until the beginning of August, he doesn't have all that much to defend. Like he has a second round in Monte Carlo. He also has the final in Pune. But otherwise, you know, there were a lot of early exits. So I think Nardi next year is going to be a contender to break the top 100 again, just like he was this year, basically. And there's going to be a couple of players that I want to mention later. Actually, no, actually, I think just one that has a very similar situation. Actually, a little worse than Nardi, but still a similar situation in that his 2022 prospects are going to sort of match with 2023 prospects. And um, yeah, that was that was the event in Bratislava, as usual, super high quality and very enjoyable to watch. Um, I've already been to that event twice in 2019 and 2022. Uh, definitely open to, to going there again. And, um, you know, with... Um, th this this is always an opportunity to mention Jakub as well, the former co-host of this show, who's unfortunately uh, dead. And um, that was, I, I'm sure you guys know about it, but that was his favorite event. He was a ball boy there like 10 years ago. And um, yeah, he, he also went there in the two years that I that I was there. One year we actually didn't know each other yet in 2019 and we never, you know, even exchanged the word. But um, in 2022, so last year, we actually met there and uh, it was super fun. And you heard some of that on the show with um, a couple of interviews that we did together or like, um, yeah, interviews from the same tournament. So, um, yeah, always an event that's going to have a bit of a special feeling for um, for that reason as well for me. And obviously, I'm, I'm really open to going there in the future. It's pretty close from Poland and it always has a great field and the venue is, is truly uh, beautiful. Um, yeah, and the doubles in Bratislava, we also have to talk about that. They were It was won by Andre Begeman and, and Sriram Palaji against uh, Andrei Golubev and Denis Molchanov. And this was a bit of a surprise, right? I mean, Begeman, the um, former, I think, number 36, he is now 39. And this year, 39 not in terms of the rankings, he is now 39 in terms of the age. And actually this year, his record, I think he only had like one win before this week because he also never didn't really play all that much. I mean, he literally played five events before Bratislava, uh, got one win with Ramonathan in, um, at the end of June. And uh, yeah, definitely didn't expect him to be picking up a challenger title anytime soon and also a challenger title, you know, of this quality because uh, the guys actually had to beat um, along the way. They had to beat Paulson Sachko, so a pairing who, I mean, Paulson was on a 16-match win streak, but I think even with Sachko, they were on a, on a bit of a win streak. Uh, then they beat Arnaud de Weisborn, the first seeds. Then they beat Franz and Jebens, the fourth seed. 
seeds and then uh, glue with Molchanov. It's actually impossible, I think, to beat all four top seeds, right? Is it? Yeah, 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 because two, two, two seeds have to be under the half of the draw. So it's impossible to beat the top four seeds, I mean all the seeds, at the, at the Challenger doubles event in this format. However, they managed to beat three of the seeded teams, which is basically the most you can do. And that actually did not include only the second seeded team, Behar Pavlashek, who lost in the semis. So a ridiculous run from, from Begemon and Balaji as well. And certainly wasn't expecting that for the German, who a few years ago used to form one of my favorite uh, doubles challenger pairings with Florin Merja when uh, the Romanian legend was still playing. Uh, okay, and let's head over to the other challenger 125 that we had, which was in Malaga. A much more surprising winner, although Diallo was, I guess, quite interesting as well. Um, also, before I had to, I had there um, one of the long-time listeners of the show, uh, Jan, su- suggested uh, that I could talk about. Um, well, basically, he was curious because Roberto Bautista Agut appeared in Malaga, ranked 40, and he was curious, you know, the, about the highest-ranked players that entered the Challenger and highest-ranked champions. So um, yeah, actually, I can tell you on the on the show as well that Bautista Agut, of course, doesn't really come close. The highest ranked player to enter a Challenger event was actually Rainer Schuttler in 2003 in Braunschweig when he was number 8 in the ATP rankings. Uh, nowadays you cannot enter a Challenger when you're in the top 10. I think Schuttler probably wasn't in the top 10 either. He just um, entered a Challenger and then you know got, got, got to a higher ranking. Um, well, entered, you know, as in, as in got on the entry list, and, and they actually mean, uh, in the stats here from the ATP, they actually mean enter a tournament as in play. Uh, and that's actually the only top 10 player that we've ever had on the Challenger Tour. Uh, all of these highest-ranked guys, there's Gonzalez, Joachim Johansson, Thomas Berdych, Schenk Schalken, they are all in, like, the mid-2000s. And when it comes to the highest-ranked champions, it's actually yeah, Joachim Johansson. He also appears on this list at number twelve. He was he was twelve when he won Luxembourg two thousand and four. Uh, Schalken also won his um, title in Prague two thousand three when he was thirteenth. And on this list, on this top five, there's actually one very recent example of Stan Wawrinka at number 17 when he won Prague 2020. That was just before we, um, well, I started this show. However, uh, I do remember that, of course, I was I was following the challengers daily uh, on, a, on like a daily basis at that point already. And um, that was a huge deal. I remember wanting to go to Prague or... I think he was also maybe supposed to... No, nah, I think he was only supposed to play Prague. But uh, it was the COVID, you know, the, the first tournaments after the restart. So it was tough. But Wawrinka uh, managed to uh, get that title, beating Karatsev in the final. And we all know what Karatsev did in the next few months after that. So that was actually quite uh, quite special as well. And um, actually, Wawrinka ended up winning the first Prague Challenger, then going to the second Challenger in Prague as well. And withdrawing before a quarterfinal match with guess who Karatsev, so he ended up being an undefeated in that year in 2020 on the Challenger Tour with seven wins. Uh, but yeah, he was dropping sets left and right in that event, so it wasn't really all that easy for him either. Uh, but yeah, he was number 17 back then, just after the pandemic restart of 2020. Anyway, let's get back to Malaga. So the second Challenger 125 that we had this week. And as I said, it was a pretty shocking winner. Hugo Blanchet, 
the 24-year-old Frenchman who has been like improving his career best results this year, definitely. And um, well, la- it was last year that he picked up four ITF titles, but this year was like the moment when he starts making some challenger impact. So there was the first quarterfinal in Blois, then there was the first semifinal in Liberets, and now he also has a first title in Malaga, and he actually never dropped a set all week. He only needed one tiebreak as well against Jean-Vier. He managed to take out both uh, Koboli and Lestien, who won challenger titles last week. Lestien in, uh, oh Jesus, uh, Alicante and Koboli in Lisbon. Uh, and um, yeah, there were also two retirements early on in his run, but don't look at that really. The main thing is that Blanchet played like very clean, aggressive baseline tennis uh, with, um, you know, he was even able to like, against guys like Lestien or Belucci, he didn't really care about their variety as well, or like the lefty lefty aspect of Belucci's game. Uh, it was a truly phenomenal weekend. I don't think he has a ridiculously high ceiling, but, you know, he gets up to 209 in the ATP rankings now. And uh, yeah, that sort of form maintained over the whole week was was certainly quite something. And um, yeah, one of the players who we are now going to see like what he's made of, I think, when he tries to follow it up. And uh, yeah, we'll see about that. In Olbia, he is playing Zdenek Kolasz. We'll, we'll obviously get to that event later on uh, in the recording. But um, but yeah, just, just that, that run from Blanchet was certainly not even close to, you know, on my radar. Uh, oh, by the way, and I didn't mention who I had as a pick in Bratislava. I, by the way, did not make, did not get any points in terms of the winner predictions. I think in Bratislava I had Maxim Kresi, so he lost to Dam in the quarters. Not terrible, but nothing special either. And in Malaga, who did I have? Oh, wow. Oh, I know, Bautista Agut, yeah, whom I, who maybe I will mention later when I um, when I finish talking about the semi-finalists. Also, we had Mattia Bellucci in the final, and this is the other guy that I said had like a very, you know, is going to have like a very similar starting point for 2023, uh, for 2024, as he had for 2023. And this was actually a vital, vital week for him. Because if you remember last year, um, Mattia Bellucci won a couple of um, challenger titles and he actually won them back to back, Saint-Tropez and Vilnius. And by the way, you had him on the show in in talking to me in Vilnius back then. And, um, you know, in these two weeks, he won 165 points, I think. So these points are basically dropping now. I mean, they're going to one of one of these uh, titles has already dropped by the time you're listening to this. One of them is about to drop. And uh, yeah, Bellucci needed some sort of a win. I mean, the, the recent challenger title in Cassis in September gave him a bit of a safety net and like just allowed him to potentially just drop down to, I don't know, 230, 240 in the rankings, you know, still uh, allowing him to potentially reach Australian Open qualifying. But yeah, this final at, at a Malaga, at a challenger 125, that already gives him a lot of comfort as well, 75 points. So it's not going to be the end of the world for Bellucci. And, you know, his first half of the season was so poor that he basically cannot really be worse than that, right? I think he will need to improve on it because it was just so poor that it's impossible to do worse. Uh, 
So um, yeah, I think he's going to have a fine starting point for 2024 and sort of uh, a position where from which he could attack a very high ranking as well. And Matia beat uh, Carbaez Baena, Karenio Busta, Vavasori and Nava, losing to Blanchet. Um, we've said it a few times already, in recent weeks he is imp- improving a lot. He's finally sort of playing with a clear mind, uh, using that variety, that wide repertoire that he has, again, in a smart way, instead of sort of le- getting getting all lost in that. And yeah, I think when he when he's doing that, he is a very, very fun player to watch and uh, someone who can also pull off like a number of different game plans. Uh, the semi-finalists were Emilio Nava. Nava beat Brancaccio, Ramos Vignolas and Moro Canas. Moro, that Moro Canas quarter was really good. And then he lost to Bellucci. So I think a very fine week. Um, Emilio, I don't think he's won a challenger in hard yet, but he's made the, his first final this year in Stanford, which might be a little surprising to you that um, Emilio Nava only has two challenger titles on clay. But uh, these were all actually, I mean, both of them were actually pretty fast clay conditions, so that explains it. But, you know, he is versatile, right? I mean, this year he's, this is this is actually new to me, zero and six indoors. That is, that is just absolutely wild. Uh, that must be a bit of a, I mean, coincidence, right? I remember him having a few great indoor wins last year. So that, that just must be, you know, an accident and small sample size. But zero and six is not that small. However, he's going he's gonna to have a chance to make up for that uh, in Olbia, playing Koboli in the first round. But anyway, for now, a very solid run from him uh, to the semifinals in Malaga. And Maxime Jovier was the other semi-finalist, and I made this point on Twitter this week that at 397 in the rankings, Jovier might be the most underranked player on tour. And honestly, I know why he's there. Like even with this run, with five wins and one loss here, he is absolutely um, struggling this year. Like he is 24 and 32. He he is also playing like almost every week and often choosing some very weird travel destinations, I would say. Um, Maybe not necessarily as weird as he did in um, one of the previous seasons, but still, he's often flying around the globe and losing most of his matches. And that was actually true in 2020, 2021 and 2022 as well. Uh, so it's been, it's actually been years since Jean-Vier posted like a positive win-loss record season. But on his day, he's still extremely dangerous. And he obviously proved that again. He beat Neukris, Jacquet, Marterer, Tirante and Harris. Such an imposing playstyle and sometimes you just cannot really beat him. I wonder if he's ever going to win the Challenger title again. I, I would certainly think so. But, you know, it's been seven years by now. And uh, he cannot get another one. Um, And the first one, by the way, was over Stefanos Tsitsipas in the final. Which was quite a nice uh, fun fact, I believe. Um, Tsitsipas was only 18 then. You know, Jovier, two years older. But still, it's it's a good achievement to have in in your bag, I think. And uh, yeah, Roberto, Roberto Bautista, good. He was back after like two months. He had a horse riding in, uh, accident. I mean, not horse riding. He had an, he had an accident while um, taking care of his horses. Then some sort of a foot injury. 
came out of that and then he comes back after two months plays a challenger for the first time in over 10 years by the way Quimper 2013 was his previous appearance and Roberto Bautista good uh, beat uh, Gilarno Bailly who I think was a very good rival for him in the first match back sort of someone who is a touch underpowered and is just not going to blow him off the court and is going to allow him to play his game you know work it out outmaneuver him Whereas Billy Harris in the second round was actually the guy who got him with some very strong first serving and also um, the flat row pace that he has. Um, with Bautista Agut, I think it is a very viable, like, like it is a very um, normal question that his style is based on physicality in a way. Like I, I know we can talk all day about the angles and the placement that he gets and like how he dictates without actually risking all that much. But, you know, it, it is a style that forces him to play a lot of long rallies. And at the same time, he also has to be so quick to cover his forehand corner, right? Because he's hitting like 60% of his shots on the left side of the court. So, yeah, I wonder if the physical decline will not hit him harder than it would for most players but that's something we'll probably know pretty soon and then the doubles they were won by cash galloway over um andrew harris and jp smith andrew harris and jp smith of course by now uh, only doubles specialists harris last year i think he tried a little of singles still but then he gave up and you know it's going good i mean they are both in the top 100 for Harris, it's like almost uh, his career high. But yeah, Cash Galloway winning the, their um, second challenger title together and actually second in a row after Mouleron Le Captif. So they've just won two big challenger titles in a row. And yeah, with that, we can get to the challenger 100s that we had. So it was Buenos Aires and Shenzhen. Maybe let's start with Buenos Aires, uh, where uh, Mariano Navone got the title over Federico Coria. And uh, Mariano Navone actually ties Thiago Seibofield with four challenger titles this year. And that's, you know, that, that's the leading stat. So only Navone and Seibofield have won four challenger titles this year. It's, it's ridiculous, honestly. I mean, Navone started winning. So like his first challenger title this year and actually his first challenger title ever was in Poznań. And we had him uh, talking to me on the show as well from there. And that was middle of June. So since middle of June, he's won four challenger titles. In his last three events, he's won two of them. And that's, uh, that, that, I mean, that, that's just really a form that we wouldn't have expected, I think, from Navone. He's making a serious case for a top 100 debut next year as well. I mean, four challenger titles, even if they would be just um, 80s, which I think Poznan was a 100 this year, right? Um, Santa Fe, I think, maybe was a 50? I'm not sure, 50, I think. And then Santa Cruz, a 75, and Buenos Aires, a 100. So that's already 325 points, right, from just four events. So that's that's obviously stunning from, from the Argentinian. And he had to win some really tough clashes here as well. Uh, not against Murkel Delian and Franco Agamenone, he outplayed them easily. But Gastao Elias, Luciano Darderi and Federico Coria, these were all long, drawn-out battles. In the semi-final and the final, he lost the first set 2-6, and six, then ended up winning. 
Korea, he had already beaten actually in Poznan in round one uh, earlier this year. However, Korea was then coming back from an injury. So I think this this victory is more meaningful. And uh, yeah, it was a fantastic effort. Had to like remain brave and try to outlast him somehow. Um, it got a bit messy in the decider, but um, I thought it was just a fantastic, fantastic t- hustle from Navona and maybe his most impressive title yet, actually. Um, I guess Poznan... No, I, I think it has to be his most impressive title yet. Yeah. In Santa Cruz, he beat Comesania and Serundolo, but Serundolo was via retirement. Yeah, it must be his best title yet. And um, yeah, to win four since the middle of June is a wonderful feat, truly. Then we also have Federico Coria, of course, the, the finalist whom I already mentioned. And Federico Coria, I think it was just a very sort of business mode week. Um, he had a couple of very tough battles with one free against uh, one free in the decider down against Juan Pablo Fikovic and also the three hour something match against Jan Hoinski. Uh, but business mode, I sort of meant, you know, the, the, the reaching the final, not winning it. It was like just, just a regular sort of week for Coria, it felt. Uh, which also tells you, you know, about the step up that he that he made because a few years ago, he he wasn't really close to winning challenger titles. It was it's only really just last year that uh, well, la- I mean I don't I don't mean last year, last few years that he became like such a force on this circuit, and obviously also at the on the main ATP tour with with two finals so far. And uh, yeah, he, he, as I said, he had a couple of these long clashes, but then beat Diaz Acosta convincingly in the semis and was cruising to the win against Navone. But um, yeah, didn't really deliver on a few key moments. I think he lost his serve at 4-all in the third from 40-love, even though in that match, actually, Navone versus Coria, I mean, the serves didn't really matter, right? It, I think both of them won less points on serve than on return. And... Um, yeah, still still a decent week for Korea, but uh, he ended up losing the final to Navone, which was a mild surprise, I think, with with how Korea performed this week and also the the stretching run, of course, where we uh, we also had a clip from him in uh, in that event. And then the semi semifinalists, Diaz Acosta, I think he was my pick for the title. So again, pretty good there, but not not good enough. And Diaz Acosta beat Delbonis, Olivo, Comesania, and then Coria. That match against Comesania was crazy. He saved match, he saved match points. Um, there was a bit of a weaker moment for Diaz Acosta the last few months, but uh, I think Campinas and Buenos Aires the last two the last two weeks, he has been back to you know his previous form of 2023, and his previous form was really good. Obviously, this is the year where he broke the top 100, won how many? Three challenger titles, I think, yeah. He's one of the guys at just one title behind Navone and Seibofield. And um, yeah, beating Comesania, Olivo and Derbonis in a row is definitely much better than the last couple of months have been for him. And Luciano Darderi, the other semi-finalist, this is actually his third semi-final in a row, which is really impressive. Antofagasta, Campinas and Buenos Aires. Antofagasta, he lost to Boyer. Campinas, he lost to Monteiro. Here he actually comes really close to beating Navone. Uh, but there were some magical rallies in that one. But still a great week for uh, Darderi, uh, beating Meligeni, Alves, uh, Copriva, Serundolo, and then losing to the aforementioned Mariano 
na wonę. When it comes to the doubles in Buenos Aires, uh, there was an interesting final as well between Diego Hidalgo and um, Cristian Rodriguez, and the other guys were Fernando Romboli and Marcelo Zorman, so a Brazilian pairing against e, uh, against an Ecuadorian-Colombian pairing, I guess. Yeah, and Hidalgo and uh, Rodriguez ended up winning, obviously a very successful pairing in on the Challenger Tour in recent years. This is their ninth Challenger title together. And uh, yeah, recently they've only, in Campinas, they only lost to Andreozzi Duran in the final. This time they managed to avoid them because Andreozzi Duran lost to Romboli Zorman in the semis. A bit of a, a bit of a surprise there for sure. And uh, Shenzhen was the other uh, Challenger 100, so we had one in Asia as well. Um, the hours were tough because they often started at 5 a.m. for me. And also they sort of didn't care about the viewing, like they just, for example, um, on a day where there was the second round, they just had four courts, 5 a.m., one slot, and then instantly the next. So um, it was a bit tough to follow, but I still managed to get catch uh, plenty of it, I think. And Alexander Kovacevic won his third challenger title, and this is actually all this year, so he's also one of the guys who are just behind Sabofield and Navone. And this will come back one more, uh, once more, this, this theme. And Kovacevic, honestly, since winning these first two titles earlier this year in Waco and um, Cleveland, he had this terrible patch, which was maybe, you know, in the middle of it was the Los Cabos quarter and the win over Nori. Yeah, but still it was rough to watch Kovacevic since, um, since Miami, basically. And he wasted an opportunity to get to the top 100, which which he had there. He actually, at one point, was even very close to... Um, like, there was w- the outcome of one match in an event he didn't even compete in, on the other side of the planet, was going to decide whether he breaks the top 100 or not. And obviously he didn't, because Luka Vanash won his match in the San Remo semifinals. And uh, yeah, Kovacevic now sort of has a case again. He is about 65 points away in the live rankings. We'll see if he manages to get there before the end of the year. Obviously, another Shenzhen title would be perfect. Like that, that would be exactly what he needs. But he showed a lot of, um, again, a lot of the same maturity that I think he showed at the beginning of the season. So, for example, the match against Ibing Wu in the final in Cleveland, he basically won with stellar backhand defense, right? He won it by slowing down and allowing Wu to overheat. He didn't quite do that against Borges, but he was so explosive in his defensive footwork, it allowed him to counter a lot of the uh, Borges accelerations, and also it just allowed him to, again, um, use the slice, you know, utilize it well, turn that backhand weakness of his, because in the past it used to be a weakness, into a very um, useful and f- efficient shot. And he managed to uh, win this in two tiebreakers, actually. He he only, um, he only didn't drop a set the whole week and only played three tiebreakers against Kachin and two against Borges. Uh, but, uh, you know, Alexander Kovacevic in the final was definitely the better player. And um, since he got broken at the very beginning of the match, uh, he definitely turned it around and he was the one creating all the breakpoints in the second set before it eventually went into the tiebreak. So a great round for Kova and he's finally back on track. We'll see. 
Nuno Borges, the finalist, uh, he also wasn't doing so hot in recent months. Basically, besides Davis Cup, he was barely winning matches. He only won that one against Kukushkin in Astana, where uh, Kukushkin actually had a match point. So other than Davis Cup, he actually was winless for three months, not counting that Kukushkin match. So yeah, long slump. But at the beginning of the season, of course, he won a couple of huge challengers, Monterey and Phoenix. So that's why he was sort of able to, you know, stay afloat. And uh, yeah, it was a, it was just as good a week for him as it was for Kovacevic, actually. He crashed all his opponents on the way to the final, basically. Only one tiebreak against Yu Su Su. And then lost that against uh, Kovacevic. But he was, generally speaking, the more aggressive, the more dominant player. But yeah, Kovacevic, I think, played that very, very well in the Shenzhen final. Um, which was, um, well, earlier today, I guess, when I'm recording. But... Um, your for for you it's gonna be yesterday or two da- two days ago. Um, then we also have Egor Gerasimov, a very surprising run of late because he actually got himself back into some decent shape, which I think I didn't I didn't really expect it to be possible to to you know to become a thing. But he went to Hong Kong to play these two 25ks. He got some nice match rhythm there, even though a lot of the matches were actually like ended with like um, a deciding tiebreaker instead of the third set because it was raining so much that they had to resort to that. But then he had this uh, wonderful run in Astana, right? He beats Bergs, Miller, Zapata Mirales, loses to Lehechka, a pretty decent match though. And yeah, it seems like Gerasimov is, is really playing, you know, some challenger level tennis right now. He was eliminated by Borges quite easily. But other than that, he beat Zhukayev and uh, Litu and one of the recent, um, you know, you know Chinese goats of the challenger circuit. So Atmana in the second round. So yeah, very surprising that for me that uh, Gerasimov has managed to get himself to this sort of level. Because I honestly thought that we might never see it again after the last few after the last two years, let's say. And Pedro Kacin was the other semi-finalist, and he was also actually my pick for the title. So again, close, but no cigar. And uh, he managed to eliminate Jan Bai, Tunglin Wu, Jason Jung, and then lost to Kovacevic. And Kacin actually never, even before, uh, never had been pa- had been passed uh, round two at a hardcore challenger. Uh, which uh, I didn't fully know at the time when I was recording, but it wouldn't have changed my pick because I I, I knew that he doesn't have many challenger, like, well, in, in general, that he doesn't have many hardcore results. However, the 2023-2022 version of catching can actually be dangerous and hard with, with the serve that he has especially. So, um, yeah, I, I was aware of the fact that, you know, it's it's a bit of a ballsy pick, I guess. But, you know, it worked out. It was, well, it didn't work out because it didn't give me a point. But I think Kacin did, you know, as well as he could have. I, I just didn't think Kovacevic was going to be back in form because, yeah, the last few months have been tough. He was also playing Sekulic, I think, in the opening round. So that's why I sort of disregarded Kovacevic, you know. And then we also had the doubles, which were won by Erler Midler over Matuszewski Romios. Uh, I'm going to talk about the Paul for a moment. I know uh, this is really important for him because he had like a few, you know, ways to schedule himself towards the end of the year. Uh, one of the options was to go to South America, which Drzewiecki was um, conv- trying to convince him to do 
we live in such times right now that Drzewiecki actually has to ask Matuszewski to play with him. Last year, this was completely the other way around, you know. They went to South America with different partners and then they actually ended up playing together the last couple of events and won their won the title in Montevideo, which for Piotrek was the, the first uh, challenger title uh, that he ever uh, won. And actually, right now, because Drzewiecki was out for three months, it was actually Karol who wanted to play with him. And uh, Matuszewski was like unsure. He also could have stayed in Europe and played with uh, Kai Wechnert. They've been getting some decent results recently. And he also had this idea of China and Australia with Romeos. However, he was afraid that, you know, they're, they're not going to do well for like two or three events. And then Romeos might just look for someone else, right? And then Matuszewski is in Australia or, some, or somewhere and he's left without a partner. But um, because they made the final here, I think they'll probably stick around, right? So that's that's great for Matuszewski. But yeah, Erler Midler, uh, it just wasn't really close. Obviously, Erler Midler were just so much better than the rest of the field as well. I mean, Matuszewski and Romeos, they are uh, currently, well, before these points come in, Ma- Romeos was at 150 in the doubles rankings, Matuszewski was at 135, whereas Erler Midler are both in the top 35 and also have won three, ch- uh, three ATP Tour titles this year. So, you know, th- this wasn't really fair. Like, Erler Midler were just so much better than the rest of the event uh, that, yeah, I, I it, it was just basically a given that they're going to win. I was interested if to see if anyone comes close. The only uh, pairing that got them to a tiebreak, and I don't mean the deciding tiebreak, the match tiebreak, just a regular tiebreak, were actually the uh, Chinese guys, Yan Bai and Yu Zhu. So a mixture of experience and um, lots of young talent. So that was that was a good effort from the Chinese duo. But uh, yeah, Erler Midler never really pushed here, and they kind of... You know, you kind of knew that was going to happen. Cagliari was also um, another challenger that they played this year, the 175. Uh, I watched it live and they also won that one. So they are actually 8-0 and zero on the challenger tour this year with two titles. And now we will also head to the last challenger uh, review that we have in Fairfield, Challenger 75. And I told you that this thing of uh, three Challenger titles, just one behind Navona Sabofield was going to come back. And it does in the form of uh, Zachary Sfaida, who won back-to-back Challenger titles in Tiburon and Fairfield. And also he's now won three of the last four that he appeared in, which is ridiculous. So he also has three Challenger titles this year, four overall. And three this year is one behind Sabofield and Sfaida. Uh, Dostanic pulled him uh, really, really close in the opening round. Um, Sfaida actually wasted match points in the second set and then had to win in the deciding tiebreak. Then he lost a bagel set to Mansuri in the second round. So it seemed like that you know the fatigue is getting to him, but it actually didn't. He got a day of rest after that. And then he was in crushing form again, beating Holt, Richard, Basavaredi. Honestly, Sfaida, I mean, he was just really picking these last two weeks. The forehand on the run run counters that he gets, um, they were just absolutely nuts. Uh, the backhand drop shot and the disguise on them, the backhand down the line, of course, the shot making, the sort of tactical awareness that he can also produce. Uh, this was a very, very strong set of performances. I know maybe not the toughest fields, but, you know, to win three out of four is always going to be impressive, even if it was 
one of these weaker uh, Australian challengers that we had last year in like October, which are actually going to be uh, also showing up on the calendar soon. But with with these uh, you know, American challengers, which maybe I, I talked about it last time, that the fields are becoming a bit stale. But yeah, these are still quality players. And for Sfida to win 16 out of his last 17 matches, it is pretty ridiculous. And the only guy who beat him, Christian Harrison, has already been defeated by him since as well in Tiburon. Uh, so Sfida, uh, he will break the top 150. And the, the other finalist was actually Nishash Basavaredi, and that was quite a surprise. And then I think uh, earlier this year I stated that Campania Lee might become like the poster boy for the accelerator program. How about Basavaredi actually? Uh, Basavaredi, uh, he is the only player so far who was able to get both the junior accelerator spots and also the college accelerator spots because he was so high up for in both rankings. He plays college for Stanford, by the way. So obviously California, Tiburon, Fairfield, that's very close uh, to his uh, alma mater. And this was actually just his fifth challenger appearance of this year. I think last year, yeah, he played one in the Annapolis. And uh, even the early, honestly, uh, showings that he's had on the challenger tour this year, just after finishing the year in college, they were really good. Like he took a set of Mpechi Pericard, he beat Johnson, he took a set of Jung, he took a set of Pospisil. Like that's literally all of his matches. And uh, Tiburon and Fairfield uh, really uh, could be like a breakout moment for him. Um, he beat uh, Sandgren and Shellbach in Tiburon via retirement in the main draw. So, you know, we didn't really pay that much attention to it. Also, he got crushed by Sfaida. But then in Fairfield, he beats Walton, he beats Mickelson in a match that I hear, I didn't actually watch it, but I heard today from Mike Cation that it was a fantastic level, even though it was just 6-3, 6-3, but that was one of the best matches of the week, according to Mike, and we do trust Mike, obviously. And then he also beats Johnson again. Uh, he really has, like, Johnson, he is in his head, you know, Basafaredi is in Johnson's head at this point. And you could see that in the semis, but um, yeah, Basavaradi seems to have a very real potential, like a real game, a real some real potential. Very excited to see what he does when he finishes college. Obviously, he is still very far from that, but maybe he'll be one of these prospects who you know just don't go through with all the years of eligibility that they have, because this these back-to-back -back weeks, Tiburon, Fairfield, uh, that was something really strong from Basavaradi and. Um, yeah, maybe I should have seen that coming, honestly. Remembering that match from Chicago against Johnson, for example, maybe I should have seen that coming, but the, the progress that he's made in the last few months, uh, really, um, I don't think I could have seen it, actually. Uh, anyway, uh, he again lost to Sfaida quite tamely. Uh, there was a breakpoint at 4-all, which maybe could have gone his way, and then maybe we see a match, but from that point onwards, he only won one game. Uh, but yeah, still, to get this run at 18, being a college player, it's a really good achievement, obviously. And um, the other, the semi-finalists were Steve Johnson, the aforementioned, who has a problem with Nishash Basavaredi. But yeah, this was, again, the, the Steve Johnson that we saw in Lexington or Bloomfield. He is honestly like the, the vintage servant forehand firing. He beats Tomic, he beats Skullcade, he beats Harrison, and then loses to Basavaredi in a match which, yeah, he likely, you know, he easily could have won, let's say that. Uh, but 
at some point the mental hiccup came and then he loses it in the third set he is like maybe again upper break and then uh, loses like six of the next seven games or something like that yeah he just he just kind of lost it mentally but yeah Johnson Johnson this year we've said it a few times especially since July he has actually been playing pretty well and uh, it's been a pleasure to watch him at that level again Alexander Richard also getting something going with the quarters in uh, Tiburon and then the semis here but I was disappointed with how he played against Fida. I mean, he was just so stiff. I know he's not generally the most dynamic of movers, but he was just so stiff and his execution at the net. And um, yeah, he just didn't play that much well in terms of the tactics, the tennis IQ. Uh, but that's still a, an okay run for him, especially given that basically since that final in Lyon in June, he had barely been winning matches until Tiburon and Fairfield. So uh, still an improvement for sure. And my pick here was Alex Mikkelsen, the top seed. He lost to Basavaredi in the quarters in that match that I said that, uh, that I um, already mentioned that uh, Mike said was one of the best, even though the scoreline might not look like it. And the title winners in doubles were actually Ivan King and Reese Stalder. Not not too much of a surprise. They were the favorites in all the matches they played. Only one um, super tiebreak needed against Lawson Pottergill. Um, so for King Stalder, I think this is already their fifth challenger title. So uh, getting a lot of traction on this tour this year. And also they are both at their career high rankings in doubles, interestingly enough. I actually thought that even King would have a higher um, ranking than that but well n not right now that he that his career high would have been higher well but but yeah uh, uh, apparently no anyway uh, we have arrived at the match and upset of the week you might hear some yawning from me I actually wasn't expecting that I was gonna be so so tired but I, I do want to get this done uh, before I go to bed today it's just gonna make it slightly easier for me tomorrow Anyway, uh, we are now going to talk about the match and upset of the week, as I said. So, hmm, uh, match of the week, as usual, I put out the poll on Twitter. I, I decided to put two options from Buenos Aires there. Mostly because Buenos Aires just seemed to have all the classics this week. And the one that, that's currently leading the poll is Diaz Acosta against Comesania. I also entered Korea versus Hoinski there. I am thinking of picking Nardi Streaker though. Like this is just more of a my type of match, right? The the sort of players that I usually enjoy watching and the 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 quality of play was really fantastic. So nah, I, I will still go for the Asacosta Comesania. I just think the drama and the grinding battles of the um South American clay very often produce the best, the, the most thrilling, the most exciting of matches. So yeah, that that's what I'm gonna Yeah, that, that's what I'm gonna go for. Uh Diaz Acosta against Comesania. But I think Korea Hoinski, a very similar uh pick in terms of the strength. And when it comes to upset of the week, I wonder what are we gonna do here. Um, in Bratislava, nothing crazy. Blanchot over Bellucci in the final in Malaga was actually a pretty big one. Harris over Bautista, good. 
I thought that Bautista Gut will work hard for it, but that he'll actually win. Well, not really. Jean-Vier over Marter, that's just... No, no, that's just not true. That wasn't a big upset. People still underrate Jean-Vier so much. Uh, apparently Villanueva over Torres is supposed to be an upset as well, according to the bookies. Eh... Zhukayev over Kokinakis, I didn't think it was that big. You know, Zhukayev has a very upsettable game. Well, actually the other way around. A game with which you can upset people <laughs> and upset them in actually in terms of throwing them out of the event, not making them cry or something. Uh, so yeah, nothing crazy. Uh, I think uh, looking at all that, I actually might have to go for... Oh, maybe this one, yeah, Blanchet over Lestien. I guess by the time Blanchet reached the final, you know, he was playing so well uh, that um, you could see him beating Bellucci. But yeah, Blanchet beating Lestien like that in the second round, even though Lestien was going for back-to-back -back titles, I guess that's what I'm going to go for. Um, I didn't expect that. When, when Blanchet played Cazot earlier um, in Saint-Tropez, he's actually the most recent event before Malaga, he was outplayed pretty easily, so I did not expect him to crash Lestien, but, you know, given in hindsight how his whole look, uh, how his whole week looked, uh, obviously that's that's something that we can definitely understand. And yeah, and with that, uh, let's head to the previews. As I mentioned earlier, we have four challengers to talk about here. Olbia is a challenger 1 to 5 in Italy on Indoor Hard. There's also Santa Fe and Shenzhen, 75s. Of course, Santa Fe in Argentina and uh, in Shenzhen, you, uh, I mean, Shenzhen is in um, China. It's the second event in a row in uh, Shenzhen. And also, there's a challenger 50 in Hamburg, in Germany, obviously. So, uh, let's head to Olbia first, the Challenger 1-5, to and this is actually the first edition of this Challenger, so we don't know anything about the conditions or anything really. But anyway, Alexander Miller is the top seed, playing Fabio Fonini in the opening round. Uh, there's a special exempt for Hugo Blanchet, I already mentioned that he's playing Zdenek Kolas. Fifth seed is Pedro Martinez playing the wildcat Lorenzo Carboni. There's um, then one of them will face a couple, one of the qualifiers. Tirante plays Delors. That's a, that's an interesting one. We'll see if Delors actually competes and like if he's gonna be hundred percent. Lloyd Harris has a wild card to this one, which is well, I I like the choice. You know, I wanna see Lloyd Harris in this event. I just wonder how it happened that he got there. But, you know, he has been struggling with injuries most of the season, but recently playing, well, back to playing regularly, but maybe not back to the results that we would be expecting from him, um, at least in recent weeks, because he definitely had a few very good showings this year, um, maybe earlier, uh, the grass, the semi-final of the ATP 250. Harris plays Gianessi, there's Corentin Mute as well, and Ryan Peniston, both of them play a qualifier in the first round. Benoit Per against Mattia Bellucci, uh, you never know what Per is going to do. Actually, he, he really tanked his match last week. Uh, you could you can probably still find it on Twitter. It kind of went viral. Uh, not my tweet. I think it was Stefano Berlinconi's, but I'm not 100% I'm not confident. But you're going to find it. He was like really, really uh, committed to the tanking. Then uh, Pedro Bellucci will play Brancaccio or a qualifier. There's Alex Molchan, the fourth seed, playing Dimitar Kuzmanov. That's a cool first round as well. One of them will face a qualifier or Maestrelli. 
And this bottom uh, quarter is really strong too. Rincon Lestien, Lestien the second seed, then one of them plays Gigante Cazon, Gigante, sorry. And also Kobolinava, that first one that I already mentioned, and then uh, Gaio Mayo. When it comes to the qualifying, do we have any guys who can go deep here? I'm interested to see if Max Kashnikovsky can do anything in this event. He just beat Vijay Sandar Prasanth today, but obviously that's a double specialist, so that's fine. Um, he also has to play Vlad- Vladislav Orlov tomorrow. Kopil maybe if he qualifies and it's a nice court for him, he could potentially. Mats Moraink, I hope that he is finally healthy and also ready. But yeah, generally speaking, probably a, a, a winner is not going to come from the qualifying. But that's also what we said, I guess, about Malaga, right? And Or at least Hugo Blanchet was not on our radar, really, as a potential title winner. And it's hard to pick anyone, anything here. Um, I couldn't watch any of the qualifying today. Was busy with all the finals and some other stuff. So I'm not really sure how these courts play. As I said, this is the first time we have them on the tour so yeah i don't really have a clue in terms of what i should do here um alexander miller i don't think he's quite in this form that he was earlier this year can i go for like mattia bellucci he's playing pair and i know he's like a pretty big favorite there and i like his draw uh but he would be going for back to back finals right so it's risky honestly Lloyd Harris is he an option I think he should be beating Gianessi and I just you know he recently lost to Dominic Palan in Shanghai and that's like the only the only thing that's keeping me from Harris here but no I'm, I'm gonna go with Lloyd Harris I think I'm, I'm gonna choose that um, I'm gonna choose to just think of that Palan loss as some sort of an accident for him and just trust him here. And I think I'm going to get... Well, um, I hope I'm going to get rewarded for that. So yeah, Lloyd Harris is going to be my winner pick in Olbia. In Santa Fe, uh, which is the second challenger in Santa Fe this year as well, we have Federico Coria again as the top seed. I mean, the seeds are very similar to um, the event last week in Buenos Aires. So we have Coria playing a qualifier, then Agamemnon or Kovalik. There's Choinski uh, playing Pellegrino, one of the best first, first rounds here. There's Trunghelitti and Colarini. Vitkop Shiva is the fourth seed playing a qualifier. Uh, there's the other seed in that section is Merigeni Alves, who plays Lukas Neumayer. There's Delbonis playing one of them uh, after he beats a qualifier, if he beats a qualifier rather. And Coprivas potential second round opponents are Bueno and Buruchaga. Francisco Comesania plays Bonadio, then we can have another Comesania Navone if they both win their first rounds. Navone plays a qualifier. Adrozzi Barrios Vera is a good round one to Torres Darderi, maybe. Maybe if Torres delivers, because Darderi probably will. There's Genaro Alberto Olivieri as well, playing Facundo Bagnis in the first round. I mean, Bagnis could use some wins, but it's not looking great for him. He actually blew four match points last week against Reista Silva. It's Camilo Ugo Carabelli playing Daribor Scina. And this is an absolute blockbuster. Juan Manuel Serundoro, the second seed to take on Thiago Monteiro. Monteiro recently won a title, seems to be getting back on track. Serundolo, maybe not the best of years, but you know he's still a very high quality challenger player. And yeah, this is going to be a cracker. And one of them will face a qualifier actually in the second round. 
So is there anyone in the um yeah, is there anyone in the qualifying that we can point out? I don't know, maybe Taberner I'm I'm interested to see how he does here, you know, Gasto Elias as a lucky loser just did some damage. Uh but but nah, I generally don't think so. That I I, I don't think any qualifiers will go deep here. Uh, like this could be a pretty good event for the qualifiers if this was altitude because we have Fikovic potentially making the main draw Mejia, but without the altitude with like regular clay conditions, I think the draw is too strong for the qualifiers to make that that much of an impact. So um, who do I pick here is the question. I don't think I want to go for Korea, especially given how his quarter looks. Um, Diaz Acosta, I don't think he's playing, so I can't follow up on that pick. Yeah, Barrios Vera, I don't think he will go that deep. I think recently he has lost his form a bit. Maybe he's letting the top 100 debut possibility get to him. Copriva, I wonder if he's gonna achieve on the, um, you know, if he's gonna perform on the South American clay. Last week was okay, I suppose. So yeah, it's, it's it's very tough to find a winner pick here. Um, part of me just wants to go Comesania, but then again, the second round against Navona, even the first round against Bonadio, honestly, it isn't that easy. Yeah, I'm completely lost. Um, I think you've probably noticed that, but I am indeed completely lost. Honestly, I got a point with Thiago Monteiro two weeks ago. I'm going to go with Thiago Monteiro again. I'm going to trust him to beat Juan Manuel Seruntolo. And if he does, I like his chances to go really deep again. This is uh, a very risky selection because Monteiro Serundolo is like a 50-50, right? But yeah, I, I, I think Monteiro can pull it off. I'm going to go with Thiago Monteiro. I honestly didn't expect to do it, you know, given how much of a blockbuster Monteiro Serundolo is, but... Um, yeah, I think I think it could work. If he beats Serundolo, I will be happy about this pick. They've played just once, and uh, Juanma beat him on the way to that famous uh, ATP 250 title in Cordoba 2021. Uh, the other challenger 75 is in Shenzhen, so again, uh, we are staying in that Chinese city. And let's see who is here. Uh, James Duckworth, the top seed, plays uh, Takahashi, so no Kokinakis then. Uh, th this time, uh, one of them will play a qualifier. There's Lee Tu playing Rubin Statham. I feel like that's a match that we've already had um, in recent memory, maybe on the Challenger Tour. Um, Rubin Statham, I know he's made like a few ridiculous upsets, and I think one of them was over Lee Tu, right? Yes, indeed. Playforge 2022. Um, Statham was, I, I remember, it was a huge upset when he beat Lee Tu there. Um, we're speaking of like, yeah, seven odds or something like that. But this year, Litu also played them and won 6 2 6 2. Uh, anyway, um, there's Puyun Chaukete playing Luke Savi, Puyun Chaukete, the fourth seed. Fajing Sun is playing Alibek Kachmazov. I wonder if Kachmazov is gonna go deep. You know, there's that stats that he, um, well, in Astana he was playing so well and yet he still hasn't been past the second round as a challenger this year actually just made another second round appearance last week when he lost to Kovacevic. There's St Steven Diaz as the eighth seed playing Nam Huang Li and then Arthur Weber or Jan Bai. 
Um, seven CDs EFCAF playing a qualifier, then Lokor a qualifier. There's Terence Atmane again, third seed playing Khaliak, and then Coleman Wong or a qualifier. Donskoy Sinclair, Justino uh, Rigalete, these are the, the other matchups. And then Kovacevic is the second seed with a special exempt playing Charles Chen. And he could face baby Zhukayev in the second round if Zhukayev beats Zhaofei Wang. So that would be a pretty tough, uh, oh, well, second round for Kovacevic if they both get there. Uh, the qualifying, has it started already? Uh, I think it has. It's just the PDF version that hasn't been updated. So let me look at who's in the second qualifying round because I remember watching one of the matches today. Yeah, we've got like Taomu, we've got Jikui. Um, the guy... Um, I'm sorry, I have to remind remind myself of his full name. Yeah, Yekong Mo, I think he's the one who played Mari, right, in, in Zhuhai. It was actually pretty decent. Maybe he's going to qualify. Jali, the, the legend. But yeah, nothing, nothing that scary. Um, I think my option here is going to be Atmane, probably. I know he's just lost last week, but... I believe that he's gonna be fine here, you know. Uh, he he has been doing so well in the Asian swing in general. Well, it was only China, but still, uh, uh, you know, in the Chinese swing, let's say, winning two challenger titles, getting to that second round from the qualifying in Shanghai. The loss to Gerasimov doesn't scare me all that much in Shenzhen last week because Gerasimov is on the uh, on a slight upswing. I like his quarter of the draw, well, maybe the first two rounds. So, yeah, I'm going to try my luck with Terence Atmane here. Um, no one else is really that convincing, maybe outside of Kovacevic. But yeah, Kovacevic-Zhukayev in the second round. By the way, Kovacevic-Zhukayev, that also sounds like a matchup that I've already seen this year at the beginning of the season in some American challenger. Is that true or not? I don't actually know. Yeah, it doesn't seem... Oh, no, it wasn't beginning of the season. It was Chicago this year, uh, in, in July. But, yeah, I, I, I remembered watching that much. Uh, so, yeah, I'm going to pick Terence Atmane in Shenzhen. And then we have the one last event, the Challenger 50 in Hamburg. The defending champ being Alexander Richard, but he is actually not defending his title. Uh, choosing a different path this year. Uh, Denis Novak is the top seed, playing Marco Topo with a wildcard. Then one of them can play Bellier or a qualifier. There's Ferreira Silva playing the Brew. Interested if the French youngster can do something on like a quicker indoor court. Then Adet plays a qualifier. Uh, the fourth seed and a wildcard actually is Rudolf Molecker playing a qualifier and then Gombos or Miller. Marvin Miller, not Elmer Miller. Um, there's Maximilian Neukrist, 7th seed, playing Moes Ekargui, and then Guinard, or a qualifier. Uh, Cem Ilke playing Henry Laxon, and that's, yeah, a couple of guys who are slumping pretty hard right now. Uh, Nicolas Sanchez Izquierdo plays Billy Harris. There's the third seed, Mate Valkus, plays Nino Serdarusic. I like that match. I think I watched it this year, actually, in Sekesh Fehervar live, but Valkus had to retire in the third set. And uh, that was Serdarusic's first win of the season, even though it was middle of March. Then Napolitano or a qualifier can face them. Uh, there's an all-Ukrainian battle, which I really enjoy, between Krutik and Marchenko. Not because they are both Ukrainians, I mean, because it should be a good match. Uh, then you have Chalik Bilek or a qualifier in their second round. And also Adam Walton is here, and this is going to be quite exciting too, to see if Adam Walton's 
US challenger, I don't want to say expertise, you know, he's only really played like, what, a few months of them, but um, well, that that's a stretch of, you know, of course, he has been pro since last summer, but uh, you know, not that many of them yet, but like, I want to see if, if his form from there translates to Europe. I like his draw a lot, you know, he plays Ergi Kirkin and then Ivanovski or Sels, so I think it could, but uh, we'll see. And then in the qualifying, um, there were some. There are some hilarious indoor matchups like Horda Sanchez, Baranko Cosano. <laughs> I mean, especially Baranko Cosano. I think before beating Poitan today, he hadn't played indoors in like four years. Um, Santillan, if he qualifies, maybe could be interesting. Max Hans Reberg. Oh, haven't seen him in a while, but um, obviously a faster, slicker court is what he loves. He's probably gonna be insane in Ismaning again. Tristan Lamazin maybe qualifies. Oh, Masur Rosenkrantz, that's a good one as well. And Gerh Habib. I, I'm going lim- to limit myself to the main draw, though. I think Novak could lose to Topo. Um, or Pellier, honestly, for the matter. I, I, I don't think it's an easy draw. Uh, Moleker, I don't really trust all that much on an indoor court, I think. But I generally don't trust many players in this draw. I'm going to go take another chance, and I'm going to risk it with Adam Walton um, well risk it, he's the second seed but uh, I do think he he will probably translate his form pretty okay to these um, indoor courts in Hamburg that's how it feels like to me, so that's what I'm going to go for here in Hamburg which was the last event that we had to talk about today and uh, as usual I wanted to thank you for listening, thank you for staying until the end and see you guys in seven days when I'm gonna talk about Shenzhen, Hamburg, Santa Fe and Olbia and uh, yeah keep watching the Challenger Tour, bye!